0: Welcome to WMFA, a podcast where writers talk writing. I'm Courtney Ballastier, and this week I'm talking with Jason Diamond. Jason's memoir, Searching for John Hughes, was released by William Morrow HarperCollins in November, and he is the sports editor at Rolling Stone, as well as the founding editor of the literary and cultural website Volume 1 Brooklyn. He has written for the New York Times, the Paris Review, Esquire, and other publications. Searching for John Hughes chronicles Jason's obsession with the director which, at one point, had Jason convinced he should be Hughes' biographer, as well as his path from a broken home in Chicago, where he was occasionally homeless, to a successful writing life in New York. When I first spoke to Jason about doing this interview, he talked about how the germ of the book grew from his desire to talk about failure, something he doesn't think our culture talks about enough. We discussed the helpfulness of failure here, as well as being a screwed-up 20-something in New York City, visiting famous authors' graves, and analyzing your past.
1: I just drew a line through it. I'm like, line is my life. Here are all the parts of my life.
0: I thought we might as well start with talking about what a busy dude you've been because you've been promoting Searching for John Hughes, your book. Do you want to explain to folks who might not know what that is and kind of where it's taken you the past couple of months?
1: Um, yeah, it's, well, it's my memoir, um, which I had never really thought I was going to write a memoir for my first book, but here I am, um, uh, yeah, having written a memoir now, uh, and I'm not even in my forties. Uh, it's, a, I like to tell people the easiest way to, to explain it is it's about a sad teen who grows up into a sad adult. Um, and who wants to be a writer and who through it all is obsessed with the movies of John Hughes. Um, and I, I always say it and then I realize I'm like, I'm talking about myself. It sounds so weird, but um, yeah, basically how I, I connected with the films and how I obsessed over the films and uh, to the point where I tried to write John Hughes's biography and I failed miserably at it. And as I kind of fail, through life, I kind of realize a lot of important things, including why his movies meant so much to me. So yeah. So it's a book. It's there. It's pink.
0: When we first talked, you described it to me as a meditation on being cheesy, which I thought was amazing. Uh, What did you mean by that?
1: Um, well, I don't know. I like, I like being a little sappy. Um, I like being as honest as possible, I like letting your emotions and your, and your happy feelings and your sad feelings sort of come out. Like I don't like to restrict things and you're post irony. I'm post irony. Yeah. I'm also just very enthusiastic and you know, I, I just, I like, I kind of like cheesy stuff in a way, you know, I like happy endings. I kind of miss predictability. Um, and saying that today makes even more sense than ever because it's it's just so unpredictable out there. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm always you know I'm always rooting for that happy ending, and right now I'm definitely in 2017. I'm definitely rooting for it.
0: Yeah, if there's any time to get on board with the happy ending, it's now.
1: Yeah, like it's not. I mean, you know, it kind of got to this point where I think we were so things maybe seemed so cookie cutter in our world. And we kind of rebelled against that in our art, in our movies, and in our books. And that's fine. I think we don't need to always have a happy ending or, you know, the kind of cheesy, cheery teens and their problems that don't seem so bad as we grow up. Um, but yeah, I'm a fan of them.
0: What has touring the book been like? Has it been like what you expected a book tour might be like?
1: Um, yes and no. I mean two really close friends of mine who are best sellers, or pretty well, one, they're both really well-known authors. They said, they both said the same kind of like, you know, Oh yeah, you know, enjoy it. This and that, you know, kind of like being live, live in the now this, cause I'm really bad at doing that. It's your first tour. You're not going to like, <laughs> you're not going to love book tours after this. And I was like, Oh, okay. Um, that was one thing. And then the other thing one of them told me was, you're going to have some events where nobody shows up. And I was like, I'm actually prepared for that. Um, yeah, I was kind of shocked that uh, the events weren't totally dead. Um, in a lot of cases, it was a lot of people. And um, the only one that was bad, it was in weirdly enough in San Francisco, hardly anybody showed up. And I was like, that's really, that's really strange. Cause I have tons of friends here. And then the next day, you know, I'm on the, getting on the plane and I realized, oh wait, today's the inauguration. And the emails start kind of pouring and like, sorry to make it. I was at a protest or I was gearing up for a protest. And I was like, okay, this is, yeah.
0: Not much you can say to that. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to talk a little bit about your relationship to John Hughes and your feelings about him?
1: Yeah, sure. Like, what do you mean? Like just in general?
0: One thing I'm definitely curious about is when it became Salient to you that it was something that you should write. I mean, I know you started with the biography, but kind of like, when did it cross over for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, there was definitely like a good. Say there was a good four or five years between trying to write the, mem- the the biography and then the idea for the memoir. I kind of didn't really. I try not to think much about the biography, and then I was just having a really rough patch in just life in general and mm, my career, and everything. Kind of felt really. Crappy, And I just kind of started thinking about the last time I'd felt just all around bad, like I was failing and not going anywhere. And it's sort of, I was like, oh yeah, when I was trying to write that that biography, it's a pretty low point in my life just in general. And um, I just kind of sat down and started thinking about like failure and we're, and how it p- kind of propels us, even though we don't want to admit it. helpful it can be which is a really weird thought but um and that just morphed into this idea that i wanted to maybe write a a memoir about failure and that was what it was originally my idea was it was gonna be a memoir about failure and like the five years i I spent on this stupid quest and then it just kind of morphed into a whole lifetime memoir because that was my my brilliant editor who came up with that idea.
0: Were you pretty open about one about you know writing about things and putting things in there because there are some pretty upsetting parts of
1: your past. Um, no, I actually didn't have a problem with it, but you know, like my editor in like one of our first meetings was like, "I want to hear about your whole life," and you know, I was like, "Oh, okay, well, I wasn't thinking about that." Um, but I, you know, I kind of futzed around with like the idea of doing a book of personal memoirs, and I'd written. You know, never none of it got published, but I started writing about you know parts of my life, my teenage years, um, and I don't know. It wasn't that hard to write it. It was hard to it was hard to edit it. It was really hard to edit it. To dial back, you mean? No, just to kind of keep looking at it, and you know, the whole I, I kind of realized that the whole idea and the process of writing a memoir is a very strange one because as the writer, you're tasked with taking your life and your real life events and using those events as like the center. I mean, it's, it's literally the, the, like the sun and everything has to revolve around it. So you have to figure out a way to write your life, a story that's already happened. You have to write it. You have to make it sound good or, you know, and, and, and interesting. And that's a really difficult thing to pull off.
0: So you would kind of just look at the, you know, 20th, 30th drafts and just be like, who cares? Like, this can't be interesting anymore. I've just read these sentences so many times.
1: Yeah, I mean, there were a bunch of things I I cut out um, that were like, I don't know if this is relevant. You know, it's just like musings from being a teen. Like, I I had this whole scene where I was like, writing about the bullies in high school and all the stuff they did. And I kind of came to the conclusion that I... I left in that part, even though I didn't think it fit. I, you know, just kind of drifted too much into teen territory, um, too much more than I wanted. Um, but I'm like, I'm just putting this in there. Cause I think this one little part is kind of interesting and funny. And it just wasn't the pros and cons just made me say, I gotta, I gotta cut this. And that was, you know, that wasn't the easiest thing, but I've gotten better at being a self editor, which I think is, is vital.
0: When you were dealing with, um, some of the things that are in the book about, you know, your parents splitting up and, and your father being abusive and your mother kind of, you know, you spending a lot of time as a teenager, homeless. Was all of that really vivid in your mind still, or is that stuff that you had kind of, because I can imagine a sort of self-preservation instinct to just kind of block that
1: out. No, no, it's actually all been kind of, you know, in my brain for years, cause I've been trying to process it and, um, you know, from a mental health standpoint, it's just been me trying to, to not think that I was at fault or I was a bad person, you know, or I did anything bad. So, you know, it's all been there and I, I think about things and think about things and think about things and overanalyze the hell out of things, um, from my past, like little weird things that honestly have no bearing on my current situation. But, you know, like, Like, you know, why did this happen when I was nine? You know, I'm really weird like that. Um, But like with the big stuff, you know, it took a long time for me to like think and think and think about it. Like really think about it. Like what would you call the big stuff? Just like parent stuff, relationships that don't work anymore. You know, personal relationships that had kind of fallen out, like stupid things I've done in my past that I'm not proud of. You know, there's a there's a an element of like self-abuse in that because you're just like you're not really making much progress by thinking about it so much if you're not really willing to like analyze it. So at some point I had to start really analyzing and, you know, I started to come to the realization that things that happened to me when I was a teenager weren't necessarily my fault. And um, yeah, writing, writing about it helps, too. So it's, you know, about catharsis, I guess.
0: Right. And maybe catharsis plus the understanding that writing something down helps you achieve or helps me achieve at least like, Oh, I didn't quite get that. I felt that way until I spelled it out.
1: It definitely helped me. I mean, it's kind of weird because when I started writing the book, I think, you know, by the time all the, the proposal stuff was done and, you know, we got down to actually writing the book, I think I was in a good place. I still am, you know, marriage and i'm okay with my job and i'm happier so it wasn't so hard to write it i just think yeah like i said going back and kind of having to like tinker with it that was like trying to like okay maybe i stretch this sentence out somehow or maybe and i'm like oh this is terrible this is about me like sleeping on a floor when i was you know 16 it's like oh that stinks i don't have to write about that
0: was the idea of a memoir something that was hard for you to kind of come around to?
1: It definitely would have been like four years ago, five years ago. But I mean, I, cause to me a memoir was always like some like c celebrity or, you know, somebody who was on trial for murder, but got away with it, but everyone knows they did it. You know, it was always like, I didn't like the idea of a memoir for so long. Um, But then I just started reading so many good ones like, you know, and just just it just so happened. Like I was like, oh, wild. I will read this because Cheryl's lovely. And I was like, oh, wow, that was really gripping and wonderful. And then Rosie Shapp's Drinking With Men, you know, blew me away. And um, Kate Christensen wrote a book called Blue Plate Special. And I was like, wow, this is insane. This is so well done. Like it's like tracing your memories back to foods. Okay, that's great. Um, and yeah, so I started reading all those books and, you know, it was just what happened. Like they were just passing through my life and they, yeah, they changed my idea of like what a memoir could be.
0: You talked a a lot about what your editor brought out. Like what was kind of the original vision that you had for it?
1: I sort of like the joke that it's not a joke because it actually is kind of, it's like one of those jokes that you're like making a joke to cover up the truth. But I've always been obsessed with books like Oblomov, and um, Don Quixote, and um, like the character Falstaff, and uh, and and uh, what's it called *Confederacy of Dunces*. You know, works or characters that are just like so obsessed with, so self-obsessed, and so obsessed with this idea or this like calling to the point where they're kind of you know the, you could tell as the reader that they're nuts. Um, or just really ignorant or stupid or something. But it's funny. And I've always been obsessed with those. And I think a big part of the reason I've been obsessed with those is because I can totally get like that. And so I wanted to kind of turn that into my life. Like I wanted to like tell my story um, and kind of be that, you know, show how I've been that kind of character. Uh, And I, you know, or like Larry David, I'm also sort of obsessed with. You know, I, I had this whole idea to write this kind of funny Yeah, just this memoir um where I treated myself like a character, you know, not just like me. I went to this and I then I went to that. And you know, it was supposed to just be like I, I have realized now how stupid I was kind of thing. And uh but yeah, then yeah, she my editor just kind of flipped that on its head by saying she wanted to read about my whole life.
0: Do you think she felt like you were like deflecting?
1: I think she probably realized that like if I'm from the Chicagoland suburbs and I made a point of that and I'm obsessed with these John Hughes movies and you know, that's, that's a thing. I think she sort of realized, I mean, I think one of the earlier chapters, if I'm not mistaken in the outline was going to just be like a gloss over of like one chapter, like growing up in the Chicagoland suburbs, like 18 years of it. There it is in one chapter. Um, So I'm, Thinking that there's a possibility that she may have seen that and said, why don't we expand this into more of the book? But I don't know. Um, Deflecting, I don't know so much. But I I would say that I think just the formula sort of like seemed like more of a book for her, if, if that makes sense. Like the whole thing. You had to do the whole thing.
0: And how about that process of interacting with editors and trying to kind of find the right fit? Did you know right away that she was the one that you wanted to edit the book?
1: Yeah, I mean I joked with I joked with her when we had this like lunch when we first signed the contract. So I was like, there's that scene in when Harry met Sally where they're talking with like the older people. You know, they're talking like all the married couples and I think the wife goes like, You just know, like a good melon. <laughs> right. That's sort of my philosophy for a lot of things. Um, if you just know, then you know, go with it and I just knew with her.
0: She was a good melon.
1: Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's like editors are like significant spouses or shrinks. You know, just it's got to be right.
0: So, talk a little bit about your writing life before this. You know, when you were kind of maybe maybe working on this biography and you know doing other things to kind of establish yourself as a writer in New York. What do you when you look back on all of that? Like, what sticks out to you?
1: I had a really fun time. You know, it doesn't kind of, I don't think it shines through in the book, unfortunately. Um, But there's no better city in retrospect to live in, I think, other than maybe like, I don't know, LA seems okay. You have to drive. Chicago is my hometown, so I can't say anything bad about it. But New York, when you're in your 20s and you're a total screw up, I feel like everyone else around you is also a total screw up. So it it, it kind of works, but you just don't realize it at the time. So in retrospect, it's all romantic and great nights. Um, you know, but I was working jobs that I hated.
0: In publishing or just random jobs?
1: Oh, no, I was working just like, I was trying to freelance right, but I was mostly working like coffee shops and restaurants and bars. And also doing like whatever else it took, like I was DJing. Like if I was making more money freelancing and I didn't want to work at coffee shops as much, I would DJ a few nights a week, like two nights a week, anything to supplement my income. Um, but I never had a job in publishing or anything like that.
0: Why do you think that is?
1: I just didn't have my shit together. Honestly. <laughs> That's really the only, the only excuse. I was just such a mess of a 20 something, you know, I was just, 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 I looked, I was just a, a dirty punk kid, you know, I was like, I can work whatever job as long as I just get up and. Make the coffee and then go home and write. That's all I want to do. And then at at night I go out and drink. That was my whole like let's let's party. And um, honestly, I, just, I didn't even have enough money to buy like a, a nice you know nice stuff to wear to an interview. I was just I just didn't have my I wasn't organized. It just was not going to get a job anywhere other than like a service industry job.
0: You what strikes me about that? What I think is interesting and not to be too romantic or to place like a qualitative judgment one way or the other. But like, I feel like when I came to New York in my early 20s, I was kind of the exact opposite. And I found that like, it was a it just kind of took longer for me for the sort of facade sounds dramatic, but just sort of like the thing to crack where you're like, wait, what do I actually want, though? You know, like, I feel like that when you have your shit together, like I thought I had my shit together, it ends up just kind of being like, the ladder set out before you to climb. And so you climb it.
1: Yeah. I have a lot of friends who I think also like, Oh, I'm going to go to school to be a lawyer. Or I'm going to go to school to be a doctor. Or I'm going to go to school to be a writer. And I was just like, I'm going to figure this out. That's all I know. One day I'll figure it out. I'm not going to go to school to be a writer. Um, I'm going to go to school for something totally just, to go for history. That sounds great. And You know, then I moved to New York and I'm like, I can get, I have nothing on my resume. I have nothing. Nobody's going to hire me for anything. And I just really didn't want to start at the bottom. It just didn't seem appealing to me to like start out as an intern somewhere and try to work my way up. I just didn't think I had it in me. Um, It just wasn't what I wanted to do. You know, and probably I would have been happier if I'd had something steadier, but who knows? I mean. Yeah, I still had fun times and met a lot of great people, and I have no regrets about that, but I also sort of, yeah, I mean, I probably would have been, I would have, I, I could have probably made my life a bit more stable than it was, I guess.
0: When you think about kind of the best of those times, and you think about now, you know, you you also have a sort of anchoring job that is in publishing, you're an editor at Rolling Stone. Like do you feel like those each each of those choices kind of had different effects on your writing?
1: Editing is definitely. I mean, I if you would have told me 7 8 years ago that I would be an editor, I would have been like <laughs> I I can't spend more than 10 minutes writing something sometimes. Like I have my attention span is so bad and my punctuation is garbage and uh but editing has really taught me being edited and editing have both taught me everything I needed to know about writing. And, um, in the last few years when I've been really editing writers a lot, I think I've, I've learned to do my best writing myself to be totally honest. I mean, it really helps me. Like, it's like they're teaching me by letting me edit them.
0: What do you think it is?
1: It's hard to say. It's like, I think it's, it's a combination of like seeing what I don't like, honestly, because that's the point of an editor is you're looking at somebody's writing and you're like I don't like this I need to fix this, or you need to fix this but I don't like it this is what I want. Um, there's that and there's also seeing like little little things like you know it's more of a meditative thing because like when you're editing you really have to concentrate. And I think um, with writing it's a, you're still concentrating but it's a different kind of concentration like you're zipping through trying to write. Whereas with editing, you have to kind of on somebody else's words and kind of go over them. And I think the more I've done that, the more I've kind of implement, like brought it into my own work.
0: Have you ever been editing someone else's piece and like in the middle of looking at it, realize that you've solved a problem in your own work?
1: Um, I think I have, like, cause I think, you know, I don't want to, I'm not going to say, not, you know, it's just something I read that I didn't, I really disliked. And I'm like, this is garbage. Why would he do that? And I realized I'm like, oh, I also do that sometimes. Okay. You know, I've had that happen before and it was good. I made a nice little note and didn't, you know, beat up on them for it or anything. But because I was like, yeah, I do this too. I try not to.
0: Do you feel as a writer that you've kind of passed like some mile marker now? You know, do you feel different?
1: Um, Yeah, I definitely think. I definitely feel different. I mean, more people know who I, you know, know about me. They know my life, like friends who've known me for years, know more about my life, hearing people like there were like three reviews that compared it, compared my writing to Nick Hornby. And I was like, that's fucking insane. I would have never, you know, it was like in the New York times. And I was like, what? That's insane. Um, I've never like really thought of that guy as somebody, I, I, he's a great writer. I just was like, why are you comparing me to him? And, that was insane. And like, you know, just all the emails I've been getting, I get like five emails a day
0: from people who just like read it and had to reach out to you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. And it's, you know, I used to do that. I used to write people <clears throat> like in bands and writers. I like, sometimes I'd spill my guts, you know, cause I felt like I connected with their work so much and, you know, to have that, uh, sort of have that, have people feel that way about me is just, yeah.
0: How did you practically go about writing it? Because you do have an editing job, um, you know. How do you balance? How do you balance that in general, but in particular with the book? I,
1: I just cut back on like other writing stuff. I mean, I just have to write. Um, my wife is, you know, made the whole. You're like a shark. You got to keep moving forward, or you know, whatever. And uh, that was that's very true. But with the book, I just was like, okay, you know, I have all this time every day that I carve out to from you know for myself to write and now from here on out i've got to at least dedicate i don't know 75 of that time that i'd normally be writing freelance stuff to just the book
0: and when when does that time happen in your day
1: usually in the morning um i do realize my best writing tends to be in the morning so but i can do it any time of day really if i'm if i'm out like totally wiped out by like five or six like from like commuting and you know the weather and whatever whatever life throws at you in in a New York day that can kind of keep going but most of the time it's just it's I got to work like a cell like 3 or 4 hours in the morning
0: and before the book if people knew of you it was probably because of Volume 1 Brooklyn which you founded. Do you want to talk about that and kind of why you started that?
1: At this point I think I've said so many times I've made the joke that that I sort of like really wanted to just get free books, but I think more or less it was just sort of this idea that, um, I wanted my voice to be heard and I wanted to connect with people. I don't know. Like I started writing zines when I was like 15 because I just wanted to connect with with people. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, this was like kind of like that early when blogs were still like, Oh, let's start a blog. Maybe I can make millions of dollars off this blog or, You know, maybe I can get a book deal off this blog, or maybe this or that. And I was just like, you know what? I'm going to start a blog, and I'm going to write about books and stuff I like. And it just sort of turned into a thing. I just was not – yeah, I just didn't expect it to become popular.
0: What uh, what do you think made it so popular?
1: I don't know. We just keep at it. We don't – I think we've kind of proven over – seven or eight years we've been doing it that we're obviously not in it for the money because we haven't made any of that you know we do so many events we and we're inclusive i mean we want everybody to be involved we want to make sure all kinds of different people and voices and just different you know cultures everything is represented and
0: what has it been like you know it seems like you've got kind of infinite stores of energy (laughs) anyway and i know that you've talked about being a little bit add but you know writing on the internet and just the speed and the volume that you have to master like was that something that came naturally to you or do you feel like that's a skill set you've acquired
1: it is sort of like the thing where my brain's just moving so fast all the time and i just need to kind of keep doing stuff but um I think it's also just like, I I, I kind of just adapted to the kind of world where you have to write X amount of blog posts in one day. Like I did at my old job, you know, they had you do like Claverwire, they had you write like four posts a day and I was writing about books. So it's just like, I just had to get real good, real fast at that. And it's just kind of stuck with me, but I'm just also really good at moving on when it comes to work. Like I'll be working on something, I'm like done, you know, and now I think I'm moving a little bit slower. I like to edit myself more.
0: That sounds like it must have made focusing on a book difficult at first.
1: It, it was actually pretty simple for me. That was weird because I'm like, okay, this is, I'm just going to really focus on this. Um, and I, I think I, I knew, it's, the weird thing about a book is that it's so much bigger than anything I'd ever done before. That I'm like, wow, I've got like 100,000 words I got to work with here. I don't know. It was like that. That that kind of was like, well, I've got a big ocean in front of me. I might as well get swimming, you know. Whereas, like an essay has like thirteen hundred words. I'm like, okay, I've done a million of these. I think I know what I'm getting into here. But with with the book, I'm like, I gotta just you know swim. Just start swimming right now and don't look back until you're you know really close to the uh, to the island.
0: Dude, are you an outliner?
1: I've become much more of an outliner, especially. Uh, with the book, I definitely kind like take my time like charting out like what I'm gonna do more than I used to. And it's it's been really helpful. But with the book I was I definitely outlined the whole thing. And you know, with a book I think a lot of times, you know, this is more of a fiction problem, but I think with narrative nonfiction, sometimes the book kind of gets a hold of you. As long as you get your facts straight, you kind of can move away from that outline. But yeah, I, I had an outline.
0: Like from the beginning or did you feel like you had to write some before you could step back and outline the rest of it?
1: No, I, I just kept going. I just I had to, I had a full outline that I'd kind of I mean the initial thing was I'd taken I mean this is really rudimentary, but I took a um piece of the oh, I always forget the name of it. They kinda of like the cardboard paper, construction paper. A big sheet of it. I bought a big sheet of it and I just drew a line through it. I'm like line is my life. Here are all the parts of my life. Just every little part I can think of. And I mean, I just marked that thing up so much. And finally, I just 30 something years of my life this is really throwing me in an existential crisis. And I just kind of use that and just sort of like actually putting together a real outline.
0: Did you do any kind of tricks to sort of get yourself back into different, you know, physical or temporal spaces when you're writing about certain periods of your life or places you've been?
1: for chicago parts i went back to chicago um i I took i found as many excuses to go there as i could and i did a lot of driving around that was huge like that really helped me in a lot of ways just driving around just like jogged my memory it you know reminded me of the setting It, it just yeah it just it just kind of like inspired me i guess
0: Do you want to talk a little bit about being an editor at Rolling Stone? Um, Was sports writing something that you had been interested in?
1: Yeah, I I do like, I like sports a lot, um, but I think I I come at it from a more like, I sound like such a douche saying this, but more like of an intellectual. Like a George Plimpton sort of way. Yeah. Yeah. I like to break down, yeah, Plimpton's a good example. I like to break down what it all means and this and that. I mean, I do like to get into the moment. And if you can deal with all the, you know, sports yelling and chest bumping and drunk fans watching a sporting event is like really fun. And, you know, I've always been interested in how people use sports for stories. And I, you know, I saw a chance to do that and I was like, yeah, I want to jump at that chance. Um, And so, you know, I've tried to have my writers tell stories. I've tried to have them explain, like, what this means more than just being like, this trade happened today. It was really important. Um, You know, I'd rather why Colin Kaepernick taking a knee matters um, and why, like, the NFL not letting players – smoke pot is actually a bad a really terrible thing. And, you know, I'm really fascinated by that because there's a lot of good and a lot of bad in sports. And, you know, we're such a divided country. But sports is sort of this like great connector. I I remember sports from maybe like age four. Like when you start really developing your memories. And I remember the tribalism kind of aspect of it. Like, we're Bears fans, the Packers suck. Like that was like, you know, basically one of the earliest things I remember learning is we're the good guys. They're the bad guys. Uh, us versus them. And it early on kind of taught me a lot about how society works, I guess, if you really want to think about it. But, um, I don't know. And I also just know that sports, it does a lot of good, but it's also, you know, the other than Hollywood, it's the thing in this culture that puts people on a pedestal more than anything.
0: This goes back a little bit to your schedule, but I seem to remember from when we spoke before that you are a big fan of meditation.
1: mm mm-hmm. uh, I've been doing it for about 11 years now, maybe. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, it's 20 minutes a day, twice a day, 20 minutes twice a day that I, I'm not thinking about writing. I'm not thinking about editing. <laughs> I'm not thinking about the train ride I have to take. Um I'm not thinking about Donald Trump. That's really nice. Um, I'm not thinking about anything except my breath. And um, as somebody who's never been able to really sit down and I mean, I could read. It's weird. I could read books or watch a baseball game, but a lot of other things I've always had a hard time doing, but writing I can do. I just have to kind of fidget and move around a lot. Meditating has really kind of, I think, helped me just overall with concentrating and emotional well-being. Like I don't beat up on myself if I get rejected or if I'm not happy with the writing I did that day. And I think I think it's all because, mostly because of meditating, like trying to sort of get in a healthier mindset, I think has, has like just, it's benefited me greatly.
0: Do you do a certain type of meditation?
1: No, I've tried all sorts of different ones and I've read about all different ones. Uh, I basically just do 20 minutes of like breathing exercises
0: Um, the, your schedule sounded to me like a friend of mine who does transcendental meditation. I thought maybe, maybe you did that.
1: I think I implement a little bit of TM. I like, uh, I like, you know, like anything else in this life, I don't really adhere to one philosophy. So with like meditation, I've taken everything I think I've learned, you know, I'm I'm not like some like enlightened soul. It's just, that's just how what works for me.
0: In a more general sense, like what are the sorts of things as a writer that you want to try to
1: do next? Um, I always like writing about food. I don't know why. Um, food. Well, actually, I do.
0: I love. Yeah, I write a lot about food. Food's great.
1: I know no, it's. It and it's just in a way like sports. It tells a lot about our culture that we wouldn't normally think about. Um, and you know, just the whole experience of food and the people who make it and just fascinated by that. <clears throat> so I, I, always miss, you know, I was writing a lot about food at my old job and, um, now not so much, but, um, yeah, you know, writing about food, just writing about, I am trying to, you know, I'm always curious about things. Like there's always stuff in this world. That I'm like, wow, that's interesting. I want to know more about that. And sure enough, it blossoms into a piece I write, which is kind of a neat process.
0: Does it feel different now to write a shorter piece after you've written such a long-form project?
1: No, no, no. That's, that's how I'm always going to better myself as a writer and how I'm always going to find scratch the little itches. And That's important.
0: Yeah, that's, I really like that because I can get very... I'll get very into something, but then I can like forget about it almost immediately. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's a really nice sort of home for those sorts of obsessions to have
1: I used to want to just write books all like I was like I want to write a book about that that sounds like a great idea and then I realized after writing a book this you know I I think I'd kind of learned this before but I sort of was realizing that most of any almost 90 something percent of the books that I think I want to write I think I could just do as essays right
0: and I have a friend who's a book editor and he would say this to me make sure that's not an article first
1: Right. Is it, is it like, you have to like, is it a thousand words or is it a hundred thousand words?
0: Uh, let's talk about reading a little bit. Do you feel like you read pretty widely across genres and interests?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm all over the place. (laughs) It's, um, like right now I have, I've got five books right next to me that I'm all, that I'm reading two in my bag. One's like my subway book. The other one is my like lunch book. I'm really weird about this. And then I've got, like, I'm rereading Anna Karenina for some reason. It's great. Yeah, I know. I read 15 pages a day. Um, but, yeah, I've got, I think, let's see, one, two, two novels, one essay collection. Yeah, it's 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 pretty diverse.
0: So you do, but, like, they each have their own time slots.
1: Yeah, kind of. I mean, when I'm researching, I will start really just immersing myself in stuff about that Stuff that I want to, like, maybe influence me, uh, if that makes sense.
0: What kind of stuff did you read for inspiration for Searching for John Hughes?
1: You know, for Hughes, I don't think I really read a lot. I think probably, you know, I said this, I I realized this after I wrote the book, but I'm like, a lot of my influences in weird ways. Like, you wouldn't, it's not even noticeable, but for me it was noticeable because it was, like, things I'd be thinking about or things I'd been thinking about that week would somehow kind of come to the surface you know, things I'd read, just little ways, turns of phrases, like I, you know, that I liked. You know, I'd be like, oh, I want to do something like that. And, you know, a month later, it's like kind of seeps its way to the front of your head and you write something in a certain style and you're like, oh, this reminds me of this.
0: Yeah, that's funny. Is that stuff that you're writing down, like as you're, like when you're noticing those lines, are you collecting them or it's just sort of subconscious seeping in?
1: It's subconscious. I mean, I write down great lines that I like. But yeah, I don't know. I, I don't really I, I don't want anything to influence me because I would be doing any of those influences a great injustice. I'd rather than just be stuff I like. And if they have a way of like seeping up. then that's awesome. And I've learned that everything from like I mean, and again, I'm not comparing my writing to any of these people. I got in trouble because somebody misunderstood me. And they're like, why are you comparing yourself to these writers? But I was like, I'm not. But I was like, you know, from, from like Dickens to Didion or Nora Ephron or any writer that I really like, I, I feel like your influences, especially as a writer, you, you're not paying an homage, but you are, you do sort of pay tribute to them, whether you realize it or not, because they've informed you.
0: Right. Absolutely. And I think there's something to the idea that like, is it was it DeLillo who's the quote that like writing is concentrated thinking or something It is the writers that you identify with, I feel like you, you identify with them because they like, there's something about their thought process that you feel somewhere in your thought process. So like, I feel like it just kind of makes sense.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think now I'm at a point where I used to like bash people. I'm like, you just want to read crap for entertainment. Like, you know, I always like reading for entertainment. Like what's that all about? You know, like when you're 24 and you think you are the greatest genius of all time or you have the greatest taste of all time, I I think I had that, you know, mentality. I was like, why would you want to read that garbage? And, you know, and I was like probably labeling all sorts of good stuff garbage. Mind you, I was a real pretentious douchebag. But at some point I just sort of realized like, you know, it's a combination of things. It's like what you think is going to challenge you and what is going to make you happy and what you need at that moment.
0: I wanted to talk to you about. I just wanted to hear more about this piece of information that I learned reading an interview with you, which is that you went to Herman Melville's grave and left a pen. Yeah. And tell me, tell me about that. Why, what do you, what is it about Herman Melville?
1: Oh, I mean, I like, first of all, it's less Herman Melville, honestly. I like cemeteries a lot. Okay. I'm, I'm a total goth. But no, but it also, um, It's also, I think actually the time I did that, uh, I mentioned in the book, I'm reading Moby Dick. um, And that was around that time. Uh, And I was kind of obsessed with him and I kind of just gotten obsessed with unpacking Moby Dick because I honestly tried to, I really skipped through it, I think, more in high school and didn't really pay attention because it's a hard book. Um, But I just got so caught up in like reading about what it's really about and how he could go and write like, hundred pages on the body of the whale. Yeah. It was just all sorts of stuff about it. And I just, you know, I was just kind of fascinated by that time period that it came out in before the civil war when America was still kind of young. Yeah. It just kind of was interesting to me.
0: Are there any other writers whose graves you have visited and left mementos on?
1: No, I've I visited a bunch of other writers graves. I, I recently visited Poe's grave in, in, in Baltimore. Baltimore. Yeah. But no, that's about it.
0: What was the last time what was the last piece of writing you read
1: that really moved you? That's a really good question. I don't know why I can't think of that. I think because I've been reading I've been in like such a tear lately. Oh darn. I mean, and also I've been just very emotional in general. So like reading a lot of things about um just the world and how people are trying to survive has, has been kind of harrowing. But um, I've been reading Priest Daddy by Patricia Lockwood. Um, but that one's been blowing my mind. I'm a big fan of uh, of poets writing memoirs. Um, she's amazing. I just read this book called Blitzed. I'm interviewing the author in a few weeks. Um, it's about Nazis and drugs, uh, all the drugs Hitler and the Nazis were doing. Um it's actually a fascinating and really fun read. I hate books about the Nazis and Holocaust stuff, but this was really like just it blew my mind. I've been reading uh Kristen Radke's uh Imagine Wanting Only This. Um that's that's a beautiful it's like graphic novel. It's 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 so good.
0: Uh I also wanted to revisit a thing that we talked about in our initial conversation, which is the joy of reading a book alone in a bar. Oh yeah. Um, talk to me about the role that that has in your life.
1: You know, I go to the bar down the street a lot and um, I just like kind of like quietly sitting there, you know, and if you could balance the candle just right so you can see what you're reading or, you know, with that combination of light, what little lights in the bar and the candle, uh, there's just something really nice about it. You know, there's an energy that's not the crazy, hectic energy of the city, but it is It's just kind of pulled into a place where everyone's supposed to be having a good time unless the couple next to you is breaking up. There's just something kind of cozy about it.
0: What does creative satisfaction look like to you now?
1: I think just, just writing. Just keep writing and have my work. I just have my work accepted and, you know, keep doing what I'm doing. I mean, honestly, it's hard to get, be much happier. I really enjoy, I love writing and I love doing what I'm doing and just to honestly continue to do, it's really, it's so, it's so simple. I'm not really, I don't really need that much.
0: <laughs> You'll find links to some of the things we talked about today on our website, wmfapodcast.com. You can email us at hello at WMFAPodcast.com and find us on Twitter and Instagram at WMFAPodcast. Download and subscribe to the show on iTunes. Reviews are greatly appreciated. Or visit our website for more options. The WMFA logo was created by Unsold Studio, and our theme music is Jazz Dancer by Double Winter. Find them at doublewinter.bandcamp.com. WMFA is made in Detroit by Courtney Ballastier LLC.